This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello, loyal listeners. This is the Dad's Podcast, except today we don't have our president, Gabriel, who has a prior commitment. By that, I mean he's ill. <laughs> and uh, as you can hear from the cackling laughter, this means that we have Sam with us today as a semi-replacement. Yeah. Would you like to introduce yourself again, Sam? Yeah, I'm introducing myself. I thought it was quite clear at the end of the last episode that I was voted the new president of Dads. So it's kind of natural that Gabriel's bowed out. I mean, he's yeah. made an excuse of illness. But, um, I think he was just intimidated after we, you know. Yeah, I think he's a bit traumatized from the whole experience. <laughs> Sorry, that was that destroyed him in the, uh, the so-called marketplace. Yeah, Christmas marketplace of ideas. And Let's that, look at the poll on the Instagram. His um his choice was not doing well last I checked. Okay, he was at seventeen percent. Kanye West did well, thirty three percent. All I want for Christmas with you was fifty. Although last night, all I want for Christmas with you was at like seventy five. I think I think you might have scared people off with. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Hello, friendly loyal listeners, and welcome back to the Dad's Podcast. I am Gabriel D'Souza, and I'm joined by my co-host. Gabriel D'Souza. Yes. Um, uh, thanks to uh, Gabriel losing his position as the president of um, the dad's company, um, his spirit is living on in all of us as he goes to an early grave, <laughs> which may or may not be confounded by his <laughs> illness, which is keeping him from the studio today. Yes. Yeah, I mean, in the last episode, it was made pretty clear that he's been ousted as the president of dads and unconsciously or consciously, he's retreated into exile. And so we're here to fill the void. It's going to be more fun. We've got a soundboard now. Well, do you want to introduce the listeners to some of our... Actually, you know, let's, let's introduce them. Yeah, they're, they're really good sounds. Keep them, keep them, keep them waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the topic today? Well, the topic today is, do we have an exact... What, I think does, we do, yeah, yeah. We does do. religion, it's about religion. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the exact, the wording's quite important. Does religion make society dumber? Uh, we don't have a thesis, but I can make one up on the spot probably. Um, or we can have a Socratic dialogue. Yeah, but I'm going to try anyway. This is this is our chance to experiment now that um, the tyranny's gone. Yeah, the, uh, reign, the reign of terror is over. The um, and girth of conversational. Okay, my, my thesis is, um, which I make up right now, religion is a cultural institution that has um, affected people's behavior and beliefs throughout the decades. Many would say that religion has contributed to, um, uh, let's say, um, unsavory consequences such as wars, such as um, religious fervor. Um, um, the exclusion of different races or beliefs, and and it's a very um, good societal force to get people to do what you want to do out of some notion of um, whether they believe it or not, some notion of a higher power or punishment, reward. And today on the Dad's podcast, um, me and Sam are going to debate whether religion makes society stupider. And um, would you like to start, Sam? Yeah, I can try and I'll respond to what you said in a moment, but I'll try and present my own original thoughts. But 
I don't really have a coherent thesis either. I'm still very undecided on the question. Yeah. I'm um, principally inspired by Camille Paglia's writing and her views, a feminist. Oh, yeah. Who's no, very I, prominent, I, yeah, prominent in the 90s. Yeah, you're aware. Yeah. Yeah. So her, her ideas on sex, gender, art, religion. Well, not, not hugely done. No, no, no. I'm just saying, for me, are very influential. Yeah. And I find her arguments very compelling. And and her view is that, yeah, I mean, it fits into a wider thing about personae and psyche, that religion is a kind of force to be reckoned with. It shouldn't be thrown out of the window. It's pushed forward art. It does push forward society in some ways. Um, there's very complicated dynamics about repression and when that's good for art or sexuality and so on, okay. which yeah. I think we can get into. That, that sounds like the kind of thing that I imagined her saying yeah. from my um, vague reading and forgetting, which is um, what happens to me. But I was going to mention uh, Nietzsche and, um, you know, me also unrelated to Nietzsche, I was also going to mention memes. Yeah. And I think um, what we're both getting across to this is that um, even if religion doesn't exist in its exact form as it is currently, the presence of religion or the societal um the societal stuff that makes it that makes it work is um something that has stayed for a reason and despite what the context is that may be elements of it that we should or should not keep mm, okay this is something i would take issue i take more of a kind of it's not something we have control of. i mean like often when we use the word we when we talk about like society, like we should do X or we should do Y, yeah. but when it comes to these questions of like cultural fusion and religion, I don't think it, I don't really use the language of we. I mean, I use the language of we of like what should the West do, but it, it's not like there's any decisions being made about the direction these things go. I think they're very unpredictable and and fluid. So w w all of that to say, like, it's not like a decision that was made by the culture to reject religion or whatever. I mean, they're just constant conflict, cultural conflict. Well, yeah, I'm not saying it's like we have a vote, let's ban religion. Right. Um, it's just something that happens. And I, I guess this is a personal question that eventually manifests in millions of people eventually choosing this, a semi-similar kind of stance on it. And then this creates the change rather than it being an immediate thing. And um, so today I brought uh, five books with me to help um, talk about, excuse me a second, uh, loyal listeners. Hi, loyal listeners. My first book here today is um, On the Genealogy of Morals by Friedrich Nietzsche. It's spilt in Slush Puppy. I've read a little bit of it. I read the start of that book. But I'm, quite, oh, yeah. I'm, familiar with his, I'm somewhat familiar with his views on Christianity, but do remind our listeners and me. Um, the view of Christianity of Nietzsche is that um, it's the idea that, um, you know, um, religion is a force that is made to make the meek meeker made to make the strong vulnerable and by uh, by adding like a collective comforting source of um of promise and hope and by following it you literally do become one with the sheep instead of actualizing your own that was that wasn't meant as a joke though. no no i completely agree i'm i'm using general terms that nietzsche probably I, used yeah yeah i think you've explained it perfectly my favorite film is 2001 a space Odyssey. Oh yeah, that's completely inspired by this idea. Arti it's the best artistic representation of this idea I ever saw. Um, Elaborate, because I've never thought of it like that. I, 
Really, you never saw that film as a Nietzschean film? No, I, I thought of it as um, expand humanity, but not Nietzsche specifically. Maybe, yeah, maybe I just had Nietzsche as a context for that. Maybe you just... As in, like, what would the Ubermensch actually be? It's an overcoming. That, that's a, sure, there's an sure. extreme will in the third... I don't want to spoil the film, but... Yeah, okay, spoiler alert. Here comes the spoiler alert. This is the only time I'm going to interrupt in that whole episode and uh, go to 14 minutes. You should be safe. Yeah, yeah. In the third act, when the astronaut comes back and he, he takes off his helmet and he goes into the... Like the warp thing. Yeah, he goes... He goes and that scene is so... That, that I couldn't just see anything else except just like supreme will and the reason that the monolith was had pulled him there was because he then he overcame how at that point he he expressed something that was so this this thing that Nietzsche thought was so high above the sheep this this amazing this amazing will of of power I'm talking specifically about that scene where his friend has just been killed by Hal oh yeah, yeah. he comes back to the ship and without a helmet, without he flies into the airlock, yeah, and then kills Hal, and then it's immediately after that that he's allowed into the. I mean, okay, we, let's, this isn't a two thousand and one podcast, although we could do, talk about that for hours. What yeah. I to bring this back to religion, I completely agree with this view that we're all aristocrats now. We live in an age of wealth, openness, freedom. If we want to, as like Slavoj Žižek oftenly points out, often points out often. Um, you know, we don't really know what we want. We are kind of sold. And that gives... We're told we live in an age of hedonism, but in lots of ways we really don't. We still live in a very puritanical culture. Um, and so we have a lot of options. And actually to realize our, our potential, religion restricts us. And Nietzsche's general th historical theory of why those ideas yeah. are popular to comfort um, the meek makes, makes sense. Religion is something... It's something you can go back to. It's something that's it's always there. It's religion is the way that I would describe, uh, you know, the you know the Durham Union. Okay, cool. That, that's exactly what I think of it because, like, oftentimes, you know, like um, your your friend groups are busy, but like Durham Union, I'm friends with nobody there, but they're always there. <laughs> that's a true story, and um, the union is a formal and companionistic ally to the podcast so um we would definitely encourage also partaking in union activities <laughs> okay however it is relevant to the discussion yeah we need to interrogate we need to interrogate this because we've, we've only scratched the surface so i feel like we didn't go far enough into space odyssey yeah yeah i i, I space odyssey though the problem with if you get talking get me talking about that is my favorite film so you're gonna get far. me talking about that for hours but maybe it is relevant I think because the reason i love it so much is this nietzschean reason it really is the first scene is most so be the first act is yeah, so yeah. beautiful and the point nietzsche's making sorry <laughs> nietzsche, the point kubrick's making i always thought um with the i saw you i saw you were laughing at like no, no, no. My, I was my slush puppy. No, I was laughing at the fact that I mistook the director of the film. Oh, okay, I yeah. said Nietzsche instead of Kubrick. That those apes, when they acquire, <laughs> when they acquire the bone, yeah, 
um, they both like see it as a tool and, and then it's immediately used for violence. And so like it's a recognition that, yeah, there's this duality of, okay, yeah, technology is being used for yeah. stuff, but in, it's also used to dominate in domination because the ape tribe that's, the point made, I think, that's so brilliant is that it's a very succinct way of making the point of domination and evolution through history because the tribe which acquired the tool um, and has is divinely inspired by the monolith to know what to do with it, then beats the other tribe of apes who's competing for the waterhole. Yes. And then and then he throws the bone in the air. Four million years of evolution or whatever are, you, you don't need to know what went on, yeah. and then we end up at the spaceship. So to, to say that that whole period of time has been that story of, okay, at one, at, yeah, technology, but also this constant battle of, domination over the other and so on. Sure, it's an, it's an overcoming of something. Yes. And the argument that I'm going to make in response to this, and this is why I wanted, part of the reason I wanted to keep on it, is um, I don't think this necessarily means that, I don't think over, I don't think Nietzsche owns the rights to overcoming humanity or evolving. Yes, good point. Very good point, yeah. So like, I think it is a legitimate thing, but I just thought it was just a general sense of, um, I, would not, I wouldn't call it stoicism or, at all. But like at the end, I'd say like, it's like saying the next stage of human evolution is just complete like semi indifference and like distantness from what's going on. And that's why, that's what I interpreted like the baby child God thing as just watching on as we, um, yeah. I mean, the, the other reason I love that film is the visual, the visual is so visually in order. I don't know the right word, auditorily, audially. Yeah, compelling. The music is so great. The visuals are so great. They expand your mind, and that you don't really have to have concrete um, linguistic thoughts about what your impression is. You, the emotions and you just to be moved by it is enough to, to you know reveal a truth. And this is why this is relevant to our conversation because I do believe religion is some. I'm in two minds. In some ways, primitive art, but in other ways, just as sufficient as all art in doing this for people that it provides them with non-linguistic things. There's a lot of physical things that religion does for people, singing, emotion. I mean, we can go into all the different traditions, but that side of life, and this is what Pali, I think, has always believed, that, that, that you know, she's fascinated yeah. with Hinduism, Native Americanism. It, you know, the, the, the world of the unconscious, religion is doing something there. Yeah. And then I just think the open question is whether... It, it's holding back potentially better ways of doing that through other art. Well, I mean, not, not to say that I'm uh, exactly the same person as you, but that's exactly the same point I was about to bring up before you said it. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to keep, keep on the Nietzsche stuff. I mean, is religion, uh, is it the, is it the, is it the future? Is it the, is it just, is it just a context and people need a context to exist, if that makes sense? No, I don't think it is. I think I've come to the view that I am really, I really question the degree to which people actually believe in these things. I mean, I, I was raised an atheist, third generation atheist. So it was very confusing for me when I learned that people actually believe these things. Did people around you like believe Christians and stuff? Not really. I went to a secular school in London. Oh, yeah. And actually quite a formative experience was that on the it. other side of the fence was a, was a Catholic school and we would always think it was so funny. We would like ridicule them because they would tell us, you know, in that school they have to pray in assembly and we, we just thought it was 
Hilarious. It, it is stupid. I went to a Catholic school. We had to pray before lunch. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, and I, I spoke to friends. I mean, I had like one friend in camp, right? All my friends were obviously in London. And he told us a similar thing. And he had a small school. I mean, it was very foreign to me, the idea that you go to a school with only 30 people. There were 120 kids in my year in you know primary school. And yeah, it was it was weird. And then you get older and then I met some very intelligent religious people yeah. and was confused by that. Um, like how can someone have such beliefs that I'm so logically against while still being an intelligent person? Yeah, and then, I mean, I read, so a very formative book I read when I was 15, I read Obama's Dreams for My Father. And the point Christopher Hitchens always made about Obama, I mean, because for me, someone like Obama is basically the same sensibility as me. His cultural reading of the world is very similar to mine. Sure. His beliefs about identity. But, you know, he says he's a Christian and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, my dad always said, eh, no, you've got to believe him. And he said, oh, maybe it's because you married Michelle Obama, who's very Christian. And points about, in order to become president in America, you have to be at least a member of a church. Well, it's and always, this is the point Hitchens made, that Obama was a member of a church, but it didn't mean he was a, he actually believed these things. Yeah, it's always a lot more uh, complex than what you literally state, which is something that I have always thought, but people in my life have only been <laughs> catching up to. God, I'm, I'm such an arrogant fuck. No. And to, um, to cool the tension off a bit from um, my... Um, shenanigans i'm gonna bring another book up i'm just gonna pick one out the bag um so this <laughs> this one is um the collected poems and selected letters and prose of hart crane okay and i chose this because i think of um i was going to make an argument that poetry or any form of art can be seen as a religious experience and that therefore if we like what i'm saying is religion is something used to get um you know, all the good stuff that humans need to be satisfied and happy. But then you can create your own, like for me, I'm like really mad into poetry and stuff. So you can create your own experiences through other people. And even though, the thing is with poetry, it's a lot more specific. So if I pick a poem in here, probably one I've never read because I haven't read half of these. Um, Imperator Victus. Big guns again. Now, I cannot remember what that means. But the point I'm making by mentioning this is that um, one of the things that makes religion effective is that someone can get a similar level of, um, let's call it pleasure, that I would eventually get from reading something as obscure as that from the universal teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. <laughs> or perhaps um, Hishnu, um, yeah. um, Muhammad, can I bring a point up about drugs? Because sometimes I think, oh, these Christians, all these Muslims, they, they're restricted by the fact that their religion doesn't permit them to have this full experience. Oh, yeah, I, right? I get what you're saying. Right, yeah. with sexuality, with the human form, with actual complicated interpersonal relations between friends, family, relationships, and that they are restricted. But they seem to be having their spiritual experiences on a biological level, and as I, by that I mean a hormonal sure. level, their brain chemistry, what's going on there, is probably is is just as intense. Yeah. As no. our, so does that mean you know? Does that mean we shouldn't write them off? Basically, because is that a good reason to say, oh, we shouldn't write them off? Because okay, we have this other view of art, which I will defend is a higher art, is non-religious art. Yeah. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. And I have thought of, 
I, I think overall the amount of feeling that's generated, whether this be religious feeling or just feeling in general, is roughly the same. It's just the way it manifests just splatters about, but that doesn't mean that. Um, like, like maybe they've just came to their answer before. There's there's someone in the um, yeah. Yeah. There's someone who goes to dads who, once again, is not being mentioned, and they said that. Um, they said that their Christianity is just something that they've immediately accepted. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. No. Okay. Well, they said that they can come up with a fake name for them. Moni. Okay. Um, <laughs> Modi. God. Okay. They, okay. They said that their Christianity was something that they intrinsically, intuitively accept, and and no matter what logical, empirical argument you're going to make, yeah. they're, they're not going to change it. Yeah. And. That's fascinating to me. I think it makes sense because I think that like, I mean, like, I, I come from a family of people who are like quite stubborn. So you got to, I mean, to connect to them, you can't just be like, you're a moron member of my family. You have to be, um, <laughs> well, I mean. Yeah, I wouldn't dare do that, but it is fascinating that what these people uh, can I tell you <laughs> what these people are capable of? <laughs> no, what they actually believe. You mentioned something earlier. Oh, yes. Okay, I want to talk about Judaism. And what was the other thing you said? Okay, let's just do Judaism. So, but I do think that... Oh, yes. I want to talk about Bollywood as well. Okay. So Judaism and Bollywood, for me, are great examples of where things go right. And so the Jewish, kind of the excellent Jewish creative spirit in all of Western culture... Sure. In in writing in Hollywood, in animation, uh, media is is fantastic, and you can't deny that there must have been. I mean, I've heard Jewish people speculate about what's, why that is, but I think you know the fact that a religion which encourages you to be skeptical, a religion that encourages you to be literate, a religion where the most prestigious thing is to be a rabbi. Yeah. Right. In in instead of I mean to an extent this was true in Christianity with priests, and actually it's one of the reasons. In the Catholic Church, Jimmy Carr's claimed that priests had to be celibate was because they were such like alpha males back in the day. I mean, they were the only literate man in the village. They knew everything that was going on, and right, so um, and so that was that's so what that's, Jimmy Carr. So that's the way. But that definitely mean. is the story of the rabbi. And you know, it, the comedy and culture I was raised on has always been very clear to me. I think it's the same thing about skepticism of Christianity and being like. It's, it was almost as a child, it just began with ridiculing Christians, right? The other people doing that are Jews. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, and then basically all the things that I care about, all the things that I think the West champions supremely like skepticism, like humor, like irony. Um, and so all of this to say, you know, the output from Judaism is vast. And, and I think that does have something to do with the culture. I mean, to get back to the rabbi point, the most prestigious thing to be is the most educated man. Feynman talked about this in the 40s, when he's, uh, no, in the 50s, after the Second World War, how in his household, his mother was just as excited to meet a professor as she was to meet a general. And, and it's just this cultural idea of like valorizing that. I want to bring this back to India as well. So I've observed so this. Am I, am I... Sorry, go on, go yeah, on. No, I, I don't want to, sorry, yeah, yeah, I've been no, talking I've, for way too long. Yeah, I've got quite... Give me, give me your thoughts on Judaism. Yeah, I mean, um, whatever you want to say. I wasn't going to say my opinions on Judaism because um, 
uh, okay, they're, they're great. I don't know. Um, but I do, I did want to ask, do you think that the, I guess the cultural um, advantages that Judaism has brought to entertainment or art, do you think that comes from being a religion specifically? Do you think that has a certain sense of sanctity that is otherwise unreplicatable? In a certain sense, yes, I do think there are traditions. This I can't speak about a lot because I never did the traditions. Yeah. I'm not from a Jewish family. Let, let me make that clear. But, you know, my Jewish friends would tell me about these traditions that they do. Like, uh, I was, remember in sick form, uh, I mean, I, I might have got this a bit wrong, but he said, you know, okay, in this, on this day, we have to drink until we don't know the difference between right and wrong. That's one of the things we have to do. Or, or you know, th so these like interesting cultural things. Um, and I, I, let me try and be a bit more lucid about this. Literacy is valued. Yeah. And the prestige, and there's an immense prestige in education and creativity. Mm -hmm. That is lacking in, I think that, that that's, that's just not as emphasized in Islam and Christianity. Sure. Um, yeah, I would I'd agree. Um, I think... Something that I just realized that I can mention, this is a brilliant thing. Uh, I follow a Jewish rabbi on YouTube called, um, um, what's his name? Um, rabbi Daniel Gladstein. He creates, he creates hours of content a week. And it's all about stuff that I have no idea what he's talking about. But it's the, the fervor and how unbashedly confident he is in it. It's... The, um, I haven't watched his videos in a while, but, um, like he, it's just him in New York with his, um, you know, the people who come to his, um, synagogue and the value that they put on, um, certain things that should be culturally valued, like, um, you know, like, um, caring for each other, but not in like the Christian, um, and this is kind of trivializing Christians, just to kind of like, not. You're not in Judaism. You're not meant to love thy neighbor as thyself. That is a clear distinction. Yeah, but like I mean, I don't mean love as in like an. Un, that's that's what I'm saying. Like yeah, you're not Christ, meant to love your enemy. In Christianity, it's not. It feels kind of like false because it's like love your enemy or like an un, unbashedness. Yeah, yeah, I've heard rabbis argue vehemently against love. You love your enemy. Yeah, but there there is a general sense of like just respect and acknowledgement for what people are that I've noticed in the videos and. Um, what I'm trying to get at is that if okay, if you it's not just going to school, it's what prestigious, it's a, like you have traditions around it, and it's what's like valorized. And I, I think that's nice. I think that's nice. I think valorized is a, a good word for this in general, yeah. And but then what's more, we don't, we don't, we don't have to be just restricted by Judaism, obviously. But again, <laughs> one of the things I remember in secondary school was, or say, Asian Americans against Harvard is that this idea, this is not obviously, like, Judaism has no monopoly on this idea, yeah. right? I mean, it was kind of a cringe thing and people's go, oh, you've got an Asian parent, blah, blah, blah. But like, I always thought, well, okay, well, I don't have an Asian parent, but like all these things that these guys are saying are true in my household. And I do think that is culturally independent. I do think I was way more to do with personality and selective pressures of immigration and so on, like how you're raised to value education. So I'm not saying sure. Judaism has a monopoly on it. Um, and it may be more to do with the case about, you know, actually getting ahead. I mean, I've heard Jews made that point that, Judah, you know, in a position, a minority position, you actually have to work very hard to get ahead and, and so on. That was part of the reason historically. All of this to say, like, we, we've got kind of further away to relate from religion now, so I do want to bring it back to religion. But all of the point I was going to make was, in the United States, now when I see Asian Americans against Harvard, the way people talk about Asian Americans in the academy... 
that they are not well-rounded, that they, you know, don't play sport, they're very insular. All the same things that were said about Jews in the 30s, all the same arguments made against having a cap on Jews in Harvard in the 30s, the same thing that Oppenheimer faced. So, so you're saying that, that this is like kind of like a, a denial of like a... I'm saying... I don't want to say way of living because that's trivializing it completely. I'm saying that we have a broad coalition. There's a broad coalition of exceptional cultural people. Indian Americans in the United States, a lot of Chinese Americans in the United States. Like, I can't, you can't name them all. Nigerian Ameri uh, Nigerians in, Br in London. I mean, you know, you know, I don't want to attach it to one identity. I do think it has a lot more, like I said, to do with... I wasn't trying to the, attach it to a single identity. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like, it's more, is broader than the Judaism because the, the things that other, these I other minorities are encountering are the same that Jews encountered. I, I, thought that, I thought that was implicit that it wasn't just, I thought it was just being used as an example. Yeah, yeah, Judaism, yeah. 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 Hey, cool, so with... We've discussed that. I think we should get a little bit more onto uh, the negatives of religion because we've been quite um, understandably sympathetic. I mean, we've been, it's not like we're reaching out to try and find like um, good things to say about it. But click to a random page. Um, Dionysius is a central figure slash concept in Nietzsche's. Oh, okay. This is a good thing to mention. Um, so um, Nietzsche um is really mad into the um, the pre-Socratic Greeks and the way that like um, tragedy in particular and the way the way of uh, existing was viewed um, before let's say quote unquote rationality was introduced into the West. So like for example, um, I guess like seeing life as kind of like a, a celebration and acknowledgement of the truth of death, the truth of reality, and not and um, not um because it, it's not just the because obviously christianity didn't come until like you know hundreds of years later um um it's not just oh we need an afterlife after but like i i guess, I guess the argument he's making is that with um with the socratic um I, I guess the kind of like um i don't know the pure rationality of it you do kind of miss the like um, the feeling and the fervor you can get from life in general. Mm. And that is something that religion, that's something that Nietzsche thinks is positive about religion that isn't, you know, necessarily, um, that isn't necessarily tied to being a religious thing because obviously he's very against the parts that particularly 19th century Christianity suppress of that. So suppressing the Dionysian side, as he would say. Yes. And um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And this is why I wanted to talk about India as well, because the thing that's fascinating about India is one of the theories of Hinduism, and that there's a quite an interesting theory about the origins of Hinduism and yeah. the Greek myths coming from a common Indo-European point somewhere in Iran. And even if it wasn't actually a single civil Proto-European civilization, there are so many commonalities and linguistically same words for Zeus and so on okay, across yeah. India and Greece. So. That's fascinating to me. I mean, I spent three months in India and that, so that uh, we can talk about that, but I don't, I don't want to just, you know, take it to India. On the Greek point, absolutely. That's what I love about the Greeks. And that's why I fully reject Christianity because they, it's the integration. This is the point I tried to make to Christian friends and, and Muslim friends is that ultimately, if you're basing your whole life outlook on fundamentally false starting points, then you're not you're not true to like i mean i could go on i it's difficult because the nature of belief is so weird like i couldn't believe it any other way that i won't exist and forever won't exist and everyone i know won't exist forever right but that's a better basis foundation for the art and my consumption of art than to believe something else because 
I do think then your art has to deal with that. And I think that what the Greeks did perfectly was this integration of, well, no, not perfectly, but the idea that they, they give perfectly is this integration of rationality, the Apollonian and Dionysian, yeah. integrate it wholly within yourself. You know, you'll, you'll read all these, the stories of the gods are so varied and that variation and ambiguity and artistic ambiguity is so valuable. I, I just think they, they're just getting at so much more and that's why I use that word, arist we're all aristocrats now. Like now, those are all the things we face, the same things that these Greeks were, were thinking about. Yeah, I didn't mention it, but I thought that was a good word at the time of uh, you saying it. I was actually going to bring um, Nietzsche up to bring a negative point in, but we've just turned this into another positive. I mean, go religion, I suppose. No, but no, no, no. The point being, the point I'm trying to make is that I don't th view these guys as religious in the same way. Th this is a different thing. Oh, on. you say, okay. The, what the Greeks are doing is different to what the Christians and the Muslims are doing. Oh, right. No, I interpret the, this as we're giving religion a bone. Right? No, no. Oh. I, th I would say they, they've got this broad artistic understanding of the full spectrum of life. Okay. Because uh, uh, I don't think they believe that if they go on top of the, uh, they climb out Olympus in Athens, they're going to see, as Zizek vulgarly put it once, he's, that they're going to see Zeus screwing Aphrodite. They right. didn't actually I, believe they're going to see that. Um, I, I, you know, it's a very open question whether, these, whether they actually believed in the kind of natural, like whether these gods existed in a kind of like scientific sense. The point I'm trying to make is that when you have a god for everything and you have, an in, you know, you have stories, I, I find those stories much more compelling than the stories of the Quran or, or the Bible. Because they integrate everything about life. That's what I'm trying to say. They don't. Yeah. They actually talk about sex and, and love and and the dynamics between men and women and friendship. It's all there. Okay, but going back to the part about um, about Migran and uh, how she um, has a very um, let's say um, traditional uh, Christian belief system. Okay. Does this mean and like she when when I'm like question life, she'll be like. Um, I need to do more puzzles in the Daily Mirror. If you have the religious part, the spiritual part all figured out, then does that mean that like um, you're able to like experience and feel reality? That's a very good question. To a to a deeper amount than like the, even the Greeks, or would that just be doing the same thing but in a different way? Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Greeks, yeah. I would say the same thing in a different way, but I I I mean my views are that the Greeks are doing it, where you're having a much fuller spiritual experience than the Christians and Muslims, but. I think you raise a really good point, which is that these religious people who are very confident yeah. about their beliefs well, and they really believe, like they believe it just as much, you know, you can't doubt that they believe it. Then it's a totally open question whether they're missing out on something because I don't think, you know, to say that they're missing out on something, I think would be wrong. Yeah, I don't think they get the same thing from it, you know. If I, if I put um, um, my grandma into... Um, a Greekian culture, I, I think she just wouldn't be able to like, this makes it sound like it's a skill issue. She's actually, she, she's actually quite smart, but like, I, I don't think she'd like, I, I think there's a similar feeling that's like accessible to her through Christianity. Yes, but I, I don't know, I don't know if that's... No, okay, this is one I want to challenge. And for me, I'm always thinking about Islam as well because they're so similar in that way. Yeah. I think it's so restricted. Maybe Islam is different, but say to me, maybe to help me make the point, I can, I'll use Islam, okay? Okay. 
So in Islam, the fact that you can't depict the Prophet or that none of their art involves humans, I think is so restrictive for what they can actually think about, like spiritually. Yeah, my, like, my friend, um, Faisal, I was at his house and like he'd taken most of his posters down because his dad came and said that he can't have posters with eyes in, mm-hmm. you know, in the yeah. room for like, um, um, if it's supposed to be a prayer room and like that has restricted quite a lot what he's able to have in his room. Yeah. And I, I know I, I, I do connect quite a bit to the sentiment because I can sense that like the, the prayer or whatever is like something that's like hugely important to his, I mean, having never met his dad, um, I can, I, I can sense that he'd get a lot out of that. And like, um, even though it would mean that you technically have less options, I suppose. And um, we, we'll go back to what you're saying, but I do want to briefly mention, um, I guess it's the same thing with society in general and like hedonism and like freedom of like the illusion of choice, which I want to talk about in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, one thing I'd say is an analogy I'm, I brings coming to my mind is a kind of landscape of like, vil- like valleys and hills and mountains. And I think the Muslim dad is on quite a strong hill and he sees his son in a valley and he thinks, well, if I can lift my son up here, he's going to have a great spiritual experience. He's going to be as content with his life as I am. He's going to have a holistic life. He's going to have this nice spiritual experience. I want to bring him up here. But I would argue that I'm on a higher hill. I'm on a higher mountain. That Actually, the spiritual experience you can have. So you can have a much better spiritual experience and a fulfillment of life in a religion if you do it properly, right? If you really embrace it. I mean, there's yeah. another question whether you can actually really embrace it because the things you're asked to believe are really hard to believe if, if you've been raised in a certain way. So I mean, if, I mean, like, if, if be, you have the option to embrace it. T- to be fair to him, he went to like Mecca over the summer. Okay. And stuff like that. And um, But that's what I'm saying. That's going to get him to the top of that hill. Yeah. But he's never going to get to, then he's going to have to, if he wants to get to my mountain, he's going to have to come back down and go back up again. And yeah, it's a gonna, hard climb up the Greek stuff. He's going to have to wrestle with not existing. You have to do it a certain way. Yeah, he's going to have to wrestle with not existing. He has to wrestle with the universe not existing. Everyone, everyone someday not existing. He's going to have to wrestle with sex, women, yeah. friendship, the, you know, the things that Islam actually isn't really bad about talking about, I think gets so wrong, all of the repression, and it's going to be hard to get up that hill, but I do think it's worth it, and I think if you, that's the whole point of artistic, cultural, religious education is to help people get up, you well, know. Whatever hill they Yeah, so it, it might want. mean, you, it, it, just like in Islam, in order to get up the, the hill of Islam, you're going to, you might have to understand, you're going to have to read quite a lot to kind of fully integrate what it's really saying and then it's going to make sense to you. Because obviously it makes sense to these people because they believe it so much they want everyone else to believe it. But I have the exact same view that, okay, maybe maybe it just takes a bit of work. I mean, you've got to watch Shakespeare, you've got to read Shakespeare or maybe you've got to read quite a few foundational texts in the Western canon. You've got to watch, the, you know, you watch these films, you really make an effort. I, I often think I make an effort. I mean, in my family, we have a, one of our Christmas traditions in my family is, yeah. is, is when I'm talking about Christmas, is this film rule we do okay. over Christmas where one we watch as a family there's five of us th- three boys of which I'm the eldest and you're allowed to pick a film and everyone else has to watch it with you so like my brother will choose some like Italian film my mother will choose like some old film my, my dad might choose like a Michael Mann film or whatever like yeah, and it's also okay. it's a, so all of this to say like 
we make a deliberate effort to go and seek out like the Western canon is like a religion to us and but it might just take more effort and yeah. it might just you know you just come from a different place what do you think of like um people who uh let's say have no belief so people who are like truly nihilistic are they can that itself be like a, a belief system or is that someone who's just like lost I would say lost, yeah. We're waiting for something to happen. Well, lost in the sense that there is not, I don't think it really is true nihilism. I mean, I think because I'm naturally optimistic and like it goes back to brain chemistry. Sure. But, but you know, of course I can like, read the experiences of people and through hours of conversation with other people try to understand it. But I do think in some way, like we're all a bit nihilistic. So I don't find it a useful word. I mean, Christians are always doubting their faith. Muslims are always doubting. It's kind of, part of the religion is to doubt so that the faith is what's carrying you through. So you think it's just like, so do you think it's just like kind of like an opposite of belief instead of being its own thing? Mm. So just the general sense of doubt, I guess, I suppose. No. no, no wait, no, no, I, I wouldn't either. No, because as someone who's like being very like nihilistic at certain points in my life, I guess um, it... <sighs> I don't want to say forms its own belief system because everything feels absolutely terrifying to do because it feels like, and this is going to bring my other, not not this book, that's, um, this football-related book is getting mentioned later. Oh, shit, the audio. I'm going to show us all my third book, which is, um, I'm trying not to cut the microphone. <laughs> Existentialism and Humanism by Jean-Paul Sartre, which is a book Sartre. I Sartre, yeah. Sartre. Which is what what I read when I was uh, like fifteen or whatever, mm -hmm. and uh, it was this in Camus and uh, all the other um, YouTube mid twenty tens folks. And I, I guess what Sartre got me to believe is like because um, when you grow up in a um, somewhere where like um, it, you don't want to be there, let's say. Just the ability to reject it all is, in fact, very liberating. I, I don't think I misinterpreted it, but um, so like it comes from a, a lack of belief and then having to choose stuff, but then you have no logical basis for what to choose. So I guess like what I'm saying is, I don't know if necessarily wanting to have some kind of basis, some kind of striving is like an inherent part of being nihilistic. C could that be the end goal for certain people? For me, I really can't, I really don't know what I believe about this. I'm very confused on this subject. I mean, I have this circular epithet that I like to give to people that, you know, I, I, the thing is, I haven't read these books. Okay. So I actually, I can't, I, I don't really have anything intelligent to say. But all I can say is searching for meaning gives my life meaning. Um, yeah. Maybe that's circular. Um, I do think there are avenues along which life can get a lot of meaning, but we're kind of getting away from religion. Well, I suppose I was using nihilism as a, like a replacement for religion, yeah. which is kind of how it felt like, I suppose. Okay, this is what I think to crystallize what I was trying to say earlier, like I would just say everyone grapples with that. I don't think it's like a coherent ideology. I would just say whatever ideology you have, you're going to doubt. Yeah, um, because I guess the conclusion that I came to, which... There's a lot to say. Um, the conclusion that I came to is that like, you just get to your reductive, primitive um, absorption of the world. So it's just, it's not that you're nothing, it's that you're the accumulation of your experiences. 
something that isn't necessarily nihilistic itself. It's just something that you personally can't comprehend. Like I'm, I'm a very strong believer that people are a lot more complicated than what they personally feel about themselves or perceive. Absolutely. And what, and bringing this back to religion, I think religion is. Um, I think everyone has their own religion, whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I have something to say about this. Yeah. Okay, I would claim that if you are raised on religion and then you have to grapple at age 12, this brings me back to my analogy of the hill and the valley. Yeah. The Muslim guy is being brought up and at age 14 he's being brought up this Islamic hill, but then he kind of realizes, he, he, I would say, I'm just going to argue this personally, that he's understanding the truth of reality, that it's false. It's obviously wrong, right? That Islam's false, Christianity's false. He has to do a lot of work to go back down and up again. And so for me, it was easier because I was raised from a young age, everything integrated to the fact that there is no God and so on. So all my artistic experience, optimism about the world, all of this to say, some people I know who have been, have really struggled with mental illness, were raised religious. And I think some of the things that could be a problem is they have to grapple with that by themselves. Now, you know, you're wearing Muhammad hijab. The guy who spoke to Piers Morgan. No. I mean, it's a pastime for me and my brother to just laugh at this guy. Just like... No, I don't really... The only Piers Morgan thing I've watched is um, Ronaldo. <laughs> no, I, but, Ronaldo, I love you. Because what... Uh, this is the other thing. It's the great waste. I think so it's not just artistic, but it's also intellectual waste is one of the things that I would say. Wait, that's that's a good... Uh, I, I like the uh, intellectual waste. I like the, yeah, yeah, so it's not just artistic. It's intellectual waste. And so... You know, uh, the reason I'm, I want to be charitable is because, okay, so now I'm thinking about the rabbi in 1860. And so for him, the, the avenues, the intellectual avenues for him aren't amazing. Like he can't become a lawyer because it doesn't exist yet. All Jews are barred from being law, lawyers. But then his sons and grandsons, obviously for them, it's a bigger world. It's just such a shame that you have these... People that you can see that are like clearly intelligent. Very high IQ. So do, do you feel like... So going back to what you were saying earlier about people who were... Um, people who hold beliefs that you can't logically fathom, but you can still see are intelligent. Do you think that's like, I, I suppose, is that instead of it being like coexisting, you you think of like most circumstances of that being like wasted intellectual potential? It depends. Depends what they're doing. So it was like Muhammad Hijab, I, see, I mean, for him, I find him very rude and I don't like his political or like social beliefs because he's very socially conservative. So in that sense, I find it, you know, ridiculing him as an outlet for you know, as a rebellion against what he believes. But with, say, with, you know, Muslim friends, I mean, you know, then, then it's not wasted because, yeah, they have the religion. The other thing we have to say about this is that especially Mus being a Muslim in Britain is very complicated because self-identification is very complicated. Who you can marry, your parents rejecting you. Being a closet atheist is very a very real thing, suppression of atheism, just as much as homosexuality. I think it is like worth pointing out. So one of the things with science in the Islamic golden age, yeah. and what was true of Jews in the 20th century as well, mm. is that you're discovering God's universe and things like this. And that was a big part of the Islamic golden age. Now, obviously, that's lost since, um, because there was a kind of reinterpretation and so on. So that's, but if that can be got back, and the intellectual part of Islam can be got back, then it's a great foundation for you know, the power of will to actually do scientific things, artistic things. I mean, I don't think they're ever going to get there with the artistic stuff because they're just so wrong on so many truths about psyche and so on and sexuality. But at least on the intellectual stuff, yeah, they, I mean, it's very powerful. Do you think as um, Islam has managed to achieve this, it will, it will be a contradiction of Islam? 
Um, no. What, uh, hold on, that's a complicated question. So like you're, you're saying that with the way that... Um, oh, good question, actually. Okay, I'll make myself quite clear. Maybe it can't be done. This is something some Muslims try to claim to me. That in Judaism, it's much more open about types of Judaism, right? Yeah. You can be a liberal Jew. The way you identify as Jewish is quite is much broader. It's a familial religion, so you don't have to believe certain things to be Jewish. Whereas to be a Muslim, you might... My Muslim claim, friends claim to me that, you know, you really have to believe these things. And so maybe they can't ever get there. Okay, so that's a fundamental aspect of... So, like, it would have to be, like, a New Age Islam to have a similar, like, um, appeal as, like, Judaism into um, life, I suppose. I mean, maybe they can just never pull it off. I mean, I, I don't know. I just I yeah, don't think they're getting the full range of experience. Like yeah, they, but maybe they're like my grandma. Maybe they... Yeah, that's what... They are exactly like your grandma. I mean, they can still do a lot of things. They can still, like, go skateboarding and stuff. Exactly. That is what they do. They watch fighting. You know, they, so they enjoy food. They enjoy All that. the non-personal. Yes. It's you, you can do a lot if it's non-personal. Yes. And this is my fifth book. The fourth book is um, The Story <laughs> of TalkSpot. <laughs> I was going to talk about, like, how football is a religion for some people, but I think... Um, no, let's keep... I think, I think we, th we can make this hours long. I, I'm happy to just keep talking. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, well, we'll do that later. Um, now I have um, the skateboarder's companion, which I bought at the airport. <laughs> I, I've never, uh, I don't know how to skateboard, but um, I have played quite a lot of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So it got me interested in the thing. And um, what I'm saying is like, um, the reason that I brought this book is, well, magazine, is that um, in terms of religion, well, this was just going to be another example of how it's... Um, I was going to contrast this with football. It's a type of religion, but it's got more of like an inherently like personal aspect to it because um, skateboarding is about a, a lot more emphasized about your own personal growth as a skateboarder. You watch to learn for yourself, whereas in football, you could just be a fan. And I guess in relation to religion... there, there is. I, I didn't just bring this because I thought it was funny to bring a skateboard book. I um I did have a, a reason to it, but I can't remember what it is. No, I think I'm kind of getting your reason. Um, do you, um, I get it. Could you try and help me there? Well, skateboarding exemplifies individuality and, and, and failure and personal growth. Yeah. And that, like, there is a part of it that, that is countercultural to... You're not a sheep. Most of the time, yeah. I mean... I mean, you know, you got the, the watches, but that doesn't make you a skateboarder. That makes you a part of the general scene. I'm thinking about how, like, Green Day, for example, was, like, seen as, like, the most ironic thing ever. Being, like, an anti-establishment business where you could buy the shirts at Hot Topic or whatever, over American. Mm. I can talk about football. I don't know enough about skateboarding. No, well, neither do I. Okay. I just... Should we talk about the religion of football, though? Religion, I think we both know a lot about that, and we yeah, have that in common. Religion of football. Um, okay, here's a really good story for you. Okay. I've never have been so overjoyed when when they won, when Argentina won that final. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever Why? had absolute drama. Like, well, if you've seen my um, description on the Instagram, you can clearly see that my um, debating hill that I'll, that I'll die on is... That the uh, the World Cup was rigged. <laughs> I saw that before I arrived. Sheer coincidence. Go on and what? Go on. What's your theory? Um, my theory is that it was a great story for um, 
uh, for Messi to win in his final year. And because of the, uh, let's say, the dubious location of the um, of the um, the event and some dubious decisions, particularly in the match against the Netherlands, yeah, I think that that it's not necessarily that it was handed to them, but they were given a bit of help. Well, that okay, that is, I'm going to argue for the complete opposite. Okay, this is going to be an adversarial conversation, but this is so relevant to this topic, I think. There was something amazingly magical about what that whole World Cup that they lost the first game to Saudi Arabia. And then, first of all, it's because I'm, I'm part of a football competition league where I'd written them off. The fact I didn't even believe in them and that they won me over through the tournament. But then what's more, it was actually the spiritual figure of Messi in that he has he was he is so contrasted to Ronaldo in being so humble and I, I do not mean this facetiously, but as a short person myself, as a five foot, let's just say eight for the listeners, um, identifying with sports people like Lewis Hamilton and, and Messi, it was a big part. I think also a big part of my childhood, actually, identifying with short footballers. But all of that to say, Messi, there was something just so spiritual. There's an electricity and the fervor around wanting Messi to win because, and the fact that it, it, it was so it was going so well and then it almost didn't happen and then it, it happened again and then it almost didn't happen again did you see Messi's handball against the Netherlands I, my flatmates from Argentina and I guess for him um you can correct me in the editing process Pedro you can even appear in you can even appear as an added ad-lib if you so choose yeah about your experiences with Messi um <laughs> Messi if you'd like to appear on the podcast <laughs> You're more than welcome to. It's just such a great, I mean, no story. It was just an um, astounding story. You can't write it. It really happened. Like, it wasn't fictional. You mean like the Saudi Arabia bit? No, no, the bit where they beat France in the final. Like that oh, whole right, like the, the last minute. Just the you know, emotional safe. roller coaster of it in my family. We all wanted Messi to, we all wanted. It wasn't really, me- it wasn't just Messi as the team. Okay, sure. Because um, there's something beautiful. But, well, no, it really is Messi, actually. And the fact that, he was so close, and no one thought he. Before the tournament, they they were a bit written off, and. Sure. Did you want Argentina to win from the start? Well, no, not, not to start, no, but, but like... I do think that it was a great thing that England lost to France in the semi-final because so otherwise happen. I wouldn't have been able to. Then I would have been in conflict in that final of England versus Argentina, and I wouldn't have been happy if Messi had won. Sure. But I think, thank God, France beat us because you know maybe we. I I I hope we wouldn't have been able to beat Argentina. France couldn't have so. I think it's a good thing that I, I, I personally think that continuing its current coming home narrative is. Uh, I, I love that it's it's still going on. Yeah, I it's mean, the greatest thing. <laughs> it's great. We we can talk about English football, but to bring it back to religion. You know, I've I, these great sports stars do believe in God, and they believe in fate, and they you know God willing, and so on and so on. So, someone more cynical would be like. They're just um, uneducated, so that's what they No, believe. no, not but no, no, that's not what I'm saying. But yeah. I'm, no, I I'm really saying believe that, it's because they ha- their way of dealing with what... Will it... Kesara, Yeah. Their the way of dealing with that as, a, as an athlete and a sports person is very interesting. It's like Gandhi. There are figures in history where they're just miraculous. They're inspirational. And I'm, I think Messi... I don't think he's like Gandhi because he didn't do anything impressive politically. But in a kind of more artistic, spiritual sense, it's that Messiah thing of wow, just awe of how humble he is, how peaceful he is, 
And then obviously the way he plays football is so elegant and so, so intelligent and, and, and just inspirational. And then the way in which they won was just, was just amazing. Storybook. This yeah. is amazing. To get back to the football is offering some people that. Yeah. That's why people love it so much because of this, these great stories that happen in front of their eyes and that they share. Yeah. Um, I probably haven't gone to that extent. And honestly, I'm, I'm quite surprised hearing that from such a logical person. You make a good point. I can, I like to fully embrace things. Sure. You know, like the, the work hard, play hard thing is such a cringe way of saying it. And usually that's just people, you know, like those types of people in Dubai who work hard and then play hard. They just, you know, they have right. a weak, they have a shallow experience in both avenues. But yeah, I yeah. do think you can totally do, you, that is the, for me, that's gives my life a lot of meaning, like trying to integrate Apollonian Dionysian. So I study computer science, I can do all that, but then, if I'm at a football match, I'm like this. If I'm dancing with a guy in a club, I'm like that. And so, yeah. you know, you're trying to integrate everything. I mean, you can you can do it all, you know. That, that's a big part. gives yeah. a lot of meaning to my life. I mean, I'm personally struggling to find motivation to do most things. So uh, I I do wish, I I genuinely wish I did have that. But um, yeah, we move on. I'm very like um, just... I mean, Aristotle would say you have to practice. That's what I believed from the age of 15. Yeah. What do you think about the lacking of... So can we talk about Andrew Tate Muslims? Yeah. So one of the things I find, like what I find lacking in the manosphere is what I find lacking in religion a lot of times. Okay. It's just very simplistic. It's like the manosphere is saying, like these guys, they're so convinced of it as well. It's like, if you just get up in the morning, you do this. And so, you know, there's a famous line in The Sopranos, Christopher Maltesanti says, there's no um, medical solution to a spiritual problem, right? Okay. Uh, so while I believe that is true, the same is true, like just getting up in the morning at the same time every day. Like while that's a necessary condition for having a great spiritual life, just doing that, like, you know, your diet and you're like going to the gym and stuff, that's n you're never going to get there. Like that's why they're also susceptible to Islam and these Andrew Tate Muslims. Yeah, the, because they don't have a context. They don't have a context for that other side of life. What this Camille Pally I just think gets banged right, and I can't articulate it here. But for anyone who wants to, Camille Pally's book Sexual Persona, she speaks. She's a brilliant speaker, very good on YouTube. Yeah. So even just watching her speak, you get the ideas from her there. So I can't really articulate them here properly, but yes, they're just so restricted. Like they're just so uneducated about culture and that wider world, and so they're just susceptible to be to being taken in by Islam. And maybe this is what Nietzsche meant as well that these Christians, they're just peasants. They they just it's an easy framework for them to understand. To, to really grapple with the Greek stuff, to really grapple with the Dionysian stuff, you have to be educated properly. You have to, but it's a hard process. Of, you have to be literate to get it. You have to, you have to understand irony. You have to, uh, you know, have a sense of humor. And so, yeah, I just, I, I feel bad for these guys. And they I, care I, about I their diet and working out. And I don't... And the God that answers the rest of the path. Right? Yeah, and I, I don't, I'm not fully convinced that that is doing it for them. Yeah, I mean, like for me... Uh, when I was like 16 or whatever, I got into, and when I say got into, this doesn't mean I agreed with, have you heard of uh, like the red pill? Yeah, yeah, I know all about it, yeah. Yeah, I um, I started to believe that that was the truth, not because I wanted to. <laughs> right. But it, no, it, keep uh, going, please, please. This is very no, interesting. I, I mean, stuff about like the inherent selfishness of people's nature and stuff like that. Okay, in, in terms of like. First, describe what you mean by the red pill. 
uh, by the red pill actually no i i said that slightly wrong it's not that i agreed with them it's that i half agreed i i thought they were right but um but they weren't looking at themselves can so, you can you say because the red pill actually is such an ambiguous term in the culture now so okay, can you so just specify it, exactly it was spe- it was specifically a reddit um quarantine forum yeah that had a lot of um misogynistic males saying things about the like true nature of women yes and, and being a 16 year old i believe that there was a lot of truth to it but at the same time i believe that the same applied to them as well in terms of their selfishness yes which i then realized was it's just that they're like assholes who yes they see everyone like themselves now we're getting to it that there's that but it's also that it's like there's the first thing they're just convinced by the first thing they're reading so i really believe that like okay so they have some insights about hypergamy or they have some insights about women or whatever but then, i mean shakespeare i really regard shakespeare as the first feminist i mean and this harold harold bloom made this great point about the characters in shakespeare the women in shakespeare are fully as fully integrated as the men and they, they can be just as evil and, and, and you know the, i think shakespeare did so much for feminism um that yeah the, 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 it's like just a f- initial teenage reaction to things going on around them and it just misses so much i mean they just miss so much you know, I, I I just. But then, like, I I'm just trying to get into the mindset. But then, when something similar happens to how it sounds like yeah. from the red pill, yeah, then you start to believe it more. So, like, say if you have like a bad experience with a girl, right? Yes, yes. Then. But that's what I'm saying. They don't have the context. So if they were reading Shakespeare or they were they were consuming, say for me, I had all the context to deal with that because I think growing up on like The Simpsons or growing up on. There was a lot of great I mean, I mean, art I, I consumed I, as a kid like, that I, I gave gr- me the I context grew, to deal with that. No, I mean, like, I grew up with The Simpsons, but I, I never got that reaction. Like, I'm, I probably know more about Simpsons than the majority of people. Yeah, I was, I, I was actually considering that's mentioning. a low bar, though. I mean, you. Well, nearly okay, nearly everyone. I mean, like okay, so you probably know more than me. Yeah, like my, um, when I did, when I did the stand up set at the stand, for example. Mm. I went through the entirety of uh, season five of The Simpsons and wrote down every joke that I thought was amazing. <laughs> and then I analyzed why I thought they were funny. Thousands. Well, there weren't, th- I mean, there weren't thousands of jokes I thought were like um, amazing, right? There were like maybe yeah. maybe like 50. Yeah. Right, which is a good amount, honestly. Yeah. Let's talk about The Simpsons though, because that would that was very informative for me. I think informing my, I mean, even I'll tell you, I watched Friends when I was like 12. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I and lo- then I later lo- watched Seinfeld when I was fifteen. I, I love Friends. So, I've now come back to Friends. I mean, I think Joey Tribbiani is the is just a fantastic character. I mean, he's kind of he's almost countercultural now. Is like an embrace of masculinity, but sure. I, I I love him as a character. I, th- I think I think the the best the the, the best character is Ross. I mean, they're all great. I I think, no, no. Basically, Phoebe, I, 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 I think the scripts are like utter shit, right? <laughs> But it's it's the way that they're delivered. Yeah, they're six comedians. I mean, yeah, of course. Um, and there is like a certain element of like, because like obviously these jokes have to come from somewhere, and like it does really reflect like the mindsets of the time of like people who were writing them. I feel. And um, what what does this have to do with anything religious related? Um, because it's about the context in which you view events. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point with the red pill is that if you read the red pill. Then when you see a girl reject a guy, you feel, you know, that pang you feel when you're rejected. So, you know, putting that in context and having like ways to deal with that. So 
if you're in Islam and you're not even talking about that, and of course you're going to be susceptible to good point, yeah, yeah. Um, and to lead back into the question, if we're going to go into does religion make society stupider, I think this says a really profound thing of like it provides an outlet for you not needing to search further, right? I think that's something we can both agree on. I don't know. I, I, do, I would say it restricts you, but I do think, I wonder if... I'm not saying that's all religion think, can do, but no, that's but, Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I think quite a lot of people in religion feel comfortable and secure, and they don't question things a lot. Okay, but yeah. there are vast numbers who identify as religious, but are always questioning. Yeah, I wasn't implying. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I'm saying yeah, yeah, for, yeah. The, for the people that don't, yeah, they don't yeah. for the people that. We uh, agree. We agree. It's the people that find, yeah. Um, you want to talk about Bollywood? <laughs> so, Bollywood is so popular in Africa. It's so popular in Central Asia. It's popular all around the world for some very interesting reasons. So, here's a example that kind of illustrates the point perfectly. In Senegal, Bollywood is very popular, more popular than Hollywood, I believe, and based on ticket sales and attendance. Why? Because in Senegal, there are some older women. A classic example of a, a, a attendant is someone who's illiterate, first of all. They don't, they don't speak French. First of all, they don't even speak French. They speak their local dialect. But they go to a Bollywood film and they can consume the whole film knowing exactly what went on. And... Okay, not exactly when I'm that that's hyper, hyperbolic, but they get the whole film yeah. through the dance and the, and the, it's what what I really want to talk about with Bollywood is this conflict between simplicity that the stories are very simple, but they are very compelling artistically to people all over the world. What do you think about that? That with Bollywood, like is that the same thing going on as these entertained Muslims that it's kind of simplistic and they're not getting the whole thing? It's always boy meets girl. It's always oh, la la la. And there's big song and dance, and I mean, there's a lot to talk about with how suggested Bollywood is sexually and all that. But um, I don't really know much about Bollywood at all. Okay. So, um, but no, no, I know that doesn't mean I can't talk about it yeah, because yeah. it's you're getting to like a general thing. Um, I mean, like, how is that different to like Marvel movies or something? It's not. That's what I'm saying. But but Marvel movies aren't really what we're talking. When I'm saying the Western tradition of filming, I'm talking about higher art here. I'm talking about the films that are winning the Oscars, but what, the canon of films. Sure, but wouldn't it be fair to compare, like, I mean, I don't really know what Bollywood is. So are you say, so is, is, like, the highest form of Bollywood, like... It doesn't get there. It's not high art. Okay, right. They're never going to interrogate those things that are deep. I mean, there might be some directors, Indian directors, who identify as being in the Bollywood tradition. They do interrogate those things. But what I'm talking about is, like, the simplistic... So are you saying, do you think that affects, like, the overall cultural export of society? Yeah, I'm saying like, is that limiting or is it liberating? Because is it giving intuitions to people uh, about what's that's true? A, that's a good point. Um, it's like, is that? I guess, I guess it's li um, liberating in the same sense that not having the the freedom of uh, the burden of choice is also un liberty in terms of avoiding that kind of conflict. If that makes sense, um, but it also means that um, you know. I mean, I, I personally don't know anything about um, Indian media in general, and that's partly because, you know, like when you go into like websites that are like best movies, best best albums, best um, 
best television or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't really seem to mention India very much at all. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. I genuinely don't know if that's from my lack of knowledge of it or if it's because of some intrinsic. No, but I think there's a, it's a different sphere of the art world. That's what I'm trying to say that it, the, it's fascinating that it's so popular in the third world where Hollywood may fail now. And yeah. they're having, I think that they're, they're having an amazing experience more than if you're just having to stay silent in an, in an Odeon cinema. And what do you think about that? I mean, like the way we're interacting with art, like maybe their religion is letting, the, it means that they're more integrated with that, that they can have a physical joyous experience. Yeah, that. maybe they're right in my um, pretentious seeking some sense of perfection that I myself have defined Yeah, is what's limiting me, I suppose. Yeah, okay, here's another one. Well, let's go on to film because I, I didn't want to be rude earlier when I wrote off Marvel. I think it has an, a very interesting point, like place in the culture, just like Star Wars. Have you seen Star Wars? Yeah. Okay, so we could talk about that in the same way. That these films that are so visually creative expand your mind. But although they're not watching Scorsese, they're not watching Bong Joon-ho, they're not, you know, they're not reading Shakespeare, they're not, they're not, they're not reading Freud. But just like people consume Marvel and Star Wars, like they're still having this amazing spiritual experience when they watch that film about. It's like the people who love The Dark Knight as well, like that amazing spiritual yeah. experience of, okay, a battle between good and evil, and that it's made clear to them and it's made intuitive with this art form and they have a, a physical, no, that's quite, emotional that's quite, experience. It's quite interesting it, because there's some people who um, love the Dark Knight trilogy. I, I personally like it, but I'm not, like, fervent over it. And I, I guess it's, like, how much does something have to be complicated or um, intricate to yes. get to a satisfiable point? And that's some, what I'm trying to say. Something that I realized is, like, it's not just... Um, because I have movies that I really like that objectively aren't aren't going to resonate with people that aren't me. So, like, one of my favorite movies is Stuart Little Two. <laughs> I was a fan of Stuart Little when I was small, but I've completely forgot the story. Oh, God, it's the greatest movie of all time. I, I was a massive fan of it with, if, in Reception. Yeah, if you like New York, if, I think it's because he's small. I mean, it always comes to being small. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. For me, small. for me, it was because I like New York, right? Okay, okay. and um, also. Very well, a very good choice of acting. You know, Hugh Laurie's the dad. No, see, I, I only consumed it when I was five, so I have no idea who the. Right, I no, should really rewatch it. I watched it last year. Okay. Again, it was it was great because it's like, it's like an exploration of the logic of an early two thousands movie because <laughs> it epitomizes it so well. <laughs> so like you you know like, they saved the day just in time. <laughs> <laughs> the 90s, I do think the 90s and 2000s was the high point of Western civilization in lots of ways. Honestly believe that. I think it was the peak of video games. I do think it was the peak of art in some ways because because of 9-11, but we don't want to ramble and ramble on, on, okay. on things off topic. But the point, the point we should it, talk about 9-11 though, because it's very relevant to this conversation. Okay, but the, the point I'm making is that like, um, is it the burden of individuality? Is that, is that what religion is... Um, because I think there's a really big link between religion and individuality because the more like openly individualistic you are and like combative to other people's um, collective like feeling, then the more unhappy you seem to be because you don't have that satisfaction. And um, I guess sometimes it manifests differently. Like there's not many people who um, feel the same way about Stuart Little too. 
So, yeah, okay, I see the point you're making. As I do. But... I see the point you're making. Yes, in that I agree. You know, in you... that to have yes, you you want you're 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 choosing you're choosing your own art, and you you go and seek and explore, and and religion really doesn't tell you to do that. I don't think. Yeah, you know, Stuart dies at the end of Stuart Little Two. I shouldn't have spoiled it. I didn't know that. Oh, have I just uh, ruined? That's the... all right. I mean, I don't know at the end. Well, no. What, what happens is like um, so the baby. Um, I the... don't really know the film. Well, you don't have to know. The film. Okay, okay. Okay, so as you can probably get, it's the end of the movie, right? And um, wow, would you believe it? The baby said her first word. Everyone's like, yay, yay, yay. And then Stuart is suddenly out of the shock completely, right? His girlfriend, the bird girl, has just gone away. Okay. And he's like, she'll be back in the spring, but she'll never be back. The baby says the first word. Stuart's completely gone from the shot. Okay. He's completely ignored. He just disappears. Okay. My theory is he jumped off the balcony. <laughs> Okay. I some people would some skepticists would say it's a CGI error. <laughs> Should we talk about Pixar films? Okay. Well, let's talk about the things we have in common at least. Like, yeah, with Bollywood, we can't say much intelligence. But S- what, Star- I was Star I was raised on Pixar, Simpsons, Star Wars. Okay, I was uh, raised on. Um, I can't remember. Like Nickelodeon, maybe I don't know. Yeah, this is important distinction. I mean, Ben Ten, Tom and Jerry. But Pixar was extremely formative for and they're all very confused about okay. it. Okay. By the way, don't worry if this is off topic, because have you If uh, you know anything about religion and art, you'll know this is super is definitely on topic. Toy Story's my religion in a way because Yes, like, that's uh, the point I'm trying to make that Pixar's formative for me. Well, I mean, because like you know, based on um I, I guess like my childhood was based around like a fear of dolls and I was obviously very Toy Story influenced. <laughs> So I guess if you're going to nail it down to one thing, there's a good chance it would be Toy Story. So, yeah. Um, it's imagination, isn't it? Kids playing with toys. I mean, I, I actually don't know what Islam says about that, if you're allowed to have it. But just that development, I mean. It's just something you miss out on. Yeah. Yeah. That creative development. Have you seen The Great Escape? Because that's, uh, that's the fourth thing that was formative for me. Of course, well, I, with, I, football, I, I, with football and Star Wars as well, but The Great Escape. Was I, know, I know what it is, but I've never seen it. Never seen o- it? Other than like the, probably like the... It's a great Christmas film, actually. You I mean, it's, like, it's, there's no Christmas in it, but it's great. You film. know, like the song. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, you should watch it, man. You should really watch it. Do you ever go to the uh, Classic Film Society? No, because on Tuesday? Tuesday, Saturday. Yeah, because I play poker. But yeah, I, I should I've been it. twice this year. So not, not hugely, but like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that speaking of religion, doing things religiously, that's really what I sometimes interpret. Is that's a religion? No, but it's distinct from doing something spiritually. Religiously means you do it. There's some discipline in doing it and doing it with other people. I do think that's what's like the distinction is. So actually forcing yourself to watch movies. Okay, so a sense of discipline. Yeah, then that that, that can be actually very useful as like an artistic religion, like like a religious way of living your life as in like I, okay, I have to watch a new movie every week or something that that's that's can be very liberating for me I think the closest thing's probably like listening to music I suppose yeah for me for me it's, it's reading yeah um, yeah okay but let's get back to so because I'm trying to piece this all together yeah um, I'll give you some time to think about that while I do say we, do you want to take a break and come back yeah
And we are back at um, the Dad's podcast. Talk about memes in yep. relation to religion. Now, the reason that I, um, the reason that this resonated with me is it's twofold. One is based on my recent um, discoveries, and one is I came to the conclusion memes are the um, basically the modern form of um, communication, coping um feeling for quite a lot of people even if it's from um even if it's like the more like uh, let's say socially adjusted people who um who just use it to express humor um say some kind of like football meme on twitter or something and then you've got people who i've hung out with in the past who quite literally communicate through memes <laughs> and like i was thinking in florence at the time mm-hmm. and i for some reason i was thinking about world war three and I was like, how are the soldiers going to be coping while I'm sat in the corner reading, um, you know, reading some like philosophy book, trying to get to a deeper truth because I actually cared about stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, then everyone else is in the corner, like l- coping with the war through memes like, oh, yeah, no, this is because in the meme verse, they'd, st- they'd started uh, memes about World War Three for some reason. Oh, when was this? Was this during um, when Trump was considering bombing Iran? He decided Possib- not to bomb Iran, which I think was the best thing Trump ever did. I can't remember, but it was like there were memes everywhere, and I was thinking, is this how people really perceive the world? Even, even like, you know, even if people don't take things as personally as I do, so like it doesn't mean as much like committing to a certain thing. Is is this like the default stance that people think? Like, I can oh, talk about this. Yeah. the war's happening, but at least the memes are going to be cracking. Okay, so. I can talk about this. Do you have any brothers or sisters? No. Okay, well, then this would be insightful, I think. So my two brothers, we speak just like this, but we speak in all... It's it, it's kind of amazing, actually, a hive mind of me and my brothers because we were all raised on that cultural content we just spoke about. Yeah. And so and all of our references, we can just reference... So we just speak in references to Breaking Bad, Succession, White Lotus... Pixar. Sure. Um, I don't. I don't even know what like, White Lotus is, but White Lotus sure. is a great HBO show. You'd like it. Um, the, the Sopranos, The Simpsons. We speak in references, and we speak. Also, we speak as a family in references. So we could talk about like the nuclear family and that that kind of thing. But I do, and like community, like how broad can a community be? I think that that's an interesting point, like subculture, because I can speak in references. So with friends, I can speak in references say about the Sopranos or something but culturally not everyone's watching those shows right this is a really important point in the olden days that might have been true at a point in time although I question whether it was actually true you know some older people say well back in my day there were only three channels and that meant everybody watched the same thing and then there is value in that that you have a cultural reference point to talk about but when I say speaking references I mean the way we make jokes the way we talk about feelings so you know just to cite something as like funny or to cite something as meaningful then we'll speak of references to those shows and those characters and those characters give us a framework for the world and i just think that framework is is so much deeper than religion now i know that sounds supremacist i don't mean it to sound supremacist well yeah you do it's by in a way but it's not really okay there are two things going on. on on one hand i do believe that's true but then also that 
just with any other subculture, you can speak in those languages. But yeah. you can speak, you can speak with reference to those things, and that is very. That means you can have higher level, quicker conversations. It improves the rate of communication, and art gives you like a basis for communicating those ideas. Like when I talk to people, sometimes when I think the the, the original question for this podcast is, does religion make people dumb? And when people speak, when they have to use lots of language to get the ideas across, they can't articulate their beliefs. I think that is because they lack an understanding in art and culture. And that is something art and culture gives you. It's a way of making things abstract, concrete, your emotions, what actually is going on. But look, even in memes, for example, even if like memes have the opportunity to, to talk about like so many things, does that mean that the way they're viewing it isn't going to be in the same reductive, oh, I think these same three things when I hear the wall, you know? Like I hear the war, um, my entire knowledge is based on r slash dank memes as it was at the time. Um, so, I mean, obviously that goes into a wider range of stuff, but does it like really mean that you have sufficient knowledge? Because I, I think that's just viewing a world through a particular ironic lens and um, the specifics don't particularly matter. Well, I mean, they do, but not very much. You may be right. You may be right. I mean... I just personally think, say these shows, The Wire is one of them as well. They they just explore everything. They they, they are like text, religious texts, and that just like Shakespeare. I mean, everything is in them. That's what that's so. It's I don't view it as narrow. It's a short way of putting it. Sure, no, but that, that's kind of what confused me while you were mentioning that when I was talking about like memes specifically. Ah, because you brought up communication, and I'm just saying that's how I talk to my brothers in these references. So it's like the idea of. So, okay, have you seen any of those shows so I can talk to you about it? No, I don't really watch TV. Okay, we'll talk about The Simpsons, though. So, yeah, yeah so, Simpsons. Yeah. We, we give references like... I mean, we don't do this anymore, actually. We don't really talk about references. Sometimes we do to The Simpsons. But then what's useful about that is there's a whole like context of what that character is and everything about behind them. And so when you just say, oh, you know, it's like that, then you're just saying so much when you're referencing. And I do think, what do you think about this? I've always thought, like, I've stayed off TikTok. I never downloaded it. Because I thought there's always a risk with shallower humor. And that actually, like, to get to the higher points of, like, this is, I really believe in this mountain analogy. Like, to get the high points of art, you have to put in the work and you have to watch a whole film or you have to watch, we have to read an entire book to actually get that really high-level experience. And then with comedy, say... It's much more valuable instead of scrolling for 30 minutes to just watch an episode of Curb Enthusiasm. I do kind of half agree with what you're saying, but like I had TikTok for a few months um, in like 2020-ish or something like that. And like the way I interpreted TikTok is like, I'm pretty certain it was like the exact opposite of everyone else in the sense that like, I like, and this is why I don't really watch movies that much, is like I really internalize everything that I perceive so like instead of thinking oh that's a funny video i'm thinking what does this say about the people who are making them what does this say about the cultural i think that means you need to watch more stuff huh i would say that maybe means you, means you need to watch more stuff you mean like more like movies and stuff just everything i mean i'm pretty like well cool it's just movies particularly yeah because like they just send me into like a spiral like no matter what it is because i just that's got... good that means that's really good don't you think that means you're you're consuming your it's challenging you. Yeah, but it's painful. Yeah, but I and think that, that's very I, important. If you believe in the like, universalism of like the memes, like our memes, the ones that we hold, say in like the high Western culture, that the truth of them reveals itself to these people. 
and the internet is a way of communicating them. And memes may be, specifically internet memes, communicate the ideas quickly. Humor's a good one because humor challenges authority in the most direct way. Yes, I, I agree, yeah. Absolutely. Like the best way to take down a bully, a tyrant, is, is laughing at them and pointing out. Like there's, no, there's a physical reaction. And so if the people of Iran are, you know, it's like uh, China. China's a good example, yeah. you know, the meme of um, Xi Jinping looking like Winnie the Pooh. Of course. I mean, that that's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's things like that. So, like, religions can't, there's two things, right? Like, to what extent is this, that a religious thing, like, thing going on about the sharing of ideas and memes? But then the other thing is, that, let's just talk about it as in the context of rebelling against religion. Like, the internet and memes. Are they making people dumber? Or are they actually helping people get out of, these restrictive ideologies, say like Chinese communism or Iranian Islam, Islamofascism. You mean, is that something that helps them to cope with? No, as in like the humor is the first step. So they oh, see the a meme about the Ayatollah and they, that's funny to them. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm theorizing that humor can be like the first gateway to challenging authority, like religion. And that memes are like the way in which the, the, maybe the most subversive thing yeah, but it, it depends where the humor is directed at. So like the memes that I envisioned in my head slash probably were happening around the time when I was in Florence, they weren't necessarily aimed at authority. They were more just like, well, they were, but not in a very impactful way, I suppose. So it was just kind of like, you know, um, it felt very um, like a stage play or something. So like not actually like impact. So like, you know, you know, like the bread and circuses shit. You know, like the you know the phrase about how um, to keep the people happy in like Rome, you need yeah, yeah. bread and circuses. Yeah, I thought of the memes as kind of like the equivalent of the circus, where like you may say all these sentiments, but it doesn't actually change anything. I and totally disagree. Continue, because it provides the like cultural bedrock. Like the, the comedy provides the cultural bedrock for what's acceptable and what's like politically doable a lot of the time. So the things you're allowed to joke about. So we have lots of taboos in our culture lots of puritanical things in our culture. But if the, the overwhelming window is pushed by com comedy a lot, and so in Islam, say, say in specifically Iran, if you can start making fun of it, I mean, it's, it's a cultural thing about what's acceptable. There is a story, I don't want to get too sensitive about Israel-Palestine, but there is a very interesting story about a football stadium on October 8th, what was culturally acceptable in that football stadium. Would surprise some of our listeners, maybe. Because despite Iran's attempt to indoctrinate their citizens to be anti-Semites and teach them that, you know, Israel and the US are the devil and blah, 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 it's broadly culturally rejected because I think because it comes from authority. Like the rebellion against authority informs the fact that they think, well, fuck that. Like, well, they're wrong about all this shit, so they're probably wrong about this. And when on October 8th, some government sympathizers raised a Palestinian flag, there was a chant around the Iranian stadium, shove the Palestinian flag up your ass. Like, take it down. Sure. We don't want to see that on October 8th, which tells you a lot about Iran, I think. I mean, I could go on about Iran for a bit, but is, is this I just don't becoming more of like a... Um, cultural learnings. <laughs> cultural learnings of... But, well, I mean, um, it relates to the religiosity of football. I mean, maybe this conversation is totally chaotic because we're just saying things and saying, yeah. oh, they're all related. Can, can, we, just, can we just recall the pre-rehearsed conclusion in case we run out of battery? <laughs> um and okay we'll go three okay. three two one 
and I apologize to our listeners because uh, we had an audio um, chaos, <laughs> and um, because of this, um, we're going to have a brief in- brief outro. Um, my opinion is certainly that um, religion is a lot more um, a lot more legitimate of a thing than um, than some um, let, let's call it Reddit atheists would um, would perpetuate. But simultaneously, it is the means that um, allows certain people to maintain their beliefs. But I do, but whether that is a bad thing, like I, I really sympathise with um, Sam's valleys and hills analogy, for example. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I I think I'm in two minds because I'm very influenced by Christopher Hitchens, but then at the same time very influenced by Camille Paglia. So I fall between them. Um, I think religion has a lot to offer artistically and stuff, but it only goes so far. And that I I do think though one can integrate. I do think as an appreciation for human culture and civilization, learning about all the world's religions is immensely valuable. And learning about their context and world's history is immensely valuable. It's like a narrative life for integrating yourself into the culture. Mm. Um, I do think canonical consumption of art, so consuming things in order um, so that you can understand references through the Western canon and so on. So I do think that's valuable and I would regard that as a kind of religion, like a tradition of sorts. So um, I think there's something valuable, but I do, like like we touched on, there's something restrictive. It might mean that very intelligent or artistic people are just, you know, doing things that they're not reaching their potential artistically or creatively. Um, but we ha- it has been quite a rush conclusion because there is a lot more to talk about. Um, yeah, the, yeah we mean, can talk about it another time. It could be, I mean, it could go on for hours, but, um, you know, we've, um, you know, um, some, some things just have to happen. And um, <laughs> I've been Gabriel D'Souza. Thank you for listening. And I've been Gabriel D'Souza. The former president of the Dads <laughs> Society. This is now officially cultural learnings of Sam and Will to make benefit glorious nation of Durham. Thank you for listening to Cultural Learnings of Sam and Will to benefit glorious nation. And you can find us once a week on a Wednesday at seven thirty in ER one four three. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio Podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.